Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. All right, good morning. So my name is Benjamin Pinkerton, and I typically work with youth ministry, also Club 56 ministry, fifth and sixth grade over at Creekside. So this is a a different venue for me, but I'm excited to be here. I actually uh, graduated in 2014 and went and worked with crew, specifically with uh, cadets in the Corps. And then I went on to uh, become a fellow here at Grace Bible Church, where I've done the youth and the Club 56 thing all the way through. But when I was in college, I was heavily involved in the college ministry here at Grace, and it really did shape uh, who I was. I came to college kind of thinking that I was pretty solid, I guess, and I uh, came to Grace Bible, got involved in college ministry, and it really did change a lot of my perceptions of God and who I was. And so I'm really excited for the message that I'll be bringing today. I think it's very applicable for you college students, especially. Uh, I know that a lot of you have finals. You're either been taking finals, you're about to be taking finals, you're stressed out, you're tired, you're pulling all-nighters. And so uh, I'm going to be speaking into this concept of known. Uh, but before I begin, like I said, my name's Benjamin. Uh, this is my family, right? Yeah. So Kara's like somewhere right over here, and she's very shy and does not like to be on stages. So if you want to say hi to her, it'll make her really embarrassed. And then these are our two dogs. They're pretty cute. We like them a lot. Uh, and so, yeah, that's who I am. Hopefully that makes you a little more comfortable with me coming up and standing on the stage. Now, I hope this doesn't make you as comfortable, a little bit terrifying, but that is Mel Gibson, betra- uh, who is portraying William Wallace in Braveheart. And so today we will actually be talking about freedom, right? Freedom as Christian believers. And I think that a lot of this, us in this room, if we were to describe our Christian walk, our relationship with God, the first word we would not say is freedom. I feel very free in my Christian walk with God. In fact, I would, I would say that a lot of us in this room feel the tension of performance. We feel constantly like we're getting ready for the next thing, especially in finals when you're being graded constantly. You're being evaluated for how well you know certain things. It's a constant check of, do I know what I'm doing and am I doing it right? And so, again, I don't think that a lot of us think of it this way as my Christian life is based on freedom. So today what I'm going to do is I'm I'm really going to try and show you a couple verses in scripture that points us to the fact that we as believers in Christ, our, our walks with God should be based on the freedom that we have and not necessarily on anything else, not on the things that we do, right? Nothing that we can prove, but what's already been done for us and who we are in Christ. So you probably heard a lot of these things. So I'm going to hope that y'all can really think through, is this true of my life? When people look at me, are they actually wanting what I have based on my walk with Jesus? Are they, do they see me and say, man, what is so enticing about that guy, that girl? They seem so joyful. They seem like they have peace in the midst of crazy finals. And, and hopefully our walks with the Lord is so enticing to the world around us that we have so much freedom that that's what draws people in. Like, I want what you have. I don't know what you have, but there is something completely different about how you pursue everything in life. Your perspective on school, on relationship, it's different. And so hopefully we can say, that's true of me. 
And if not, maybe we can evaluate ourselves today. I'm really excited that y'all do this table host, discussion table thing. I didn't do that in college. And that is so valuable because you actually get to do the community immediately after. You get to talk through this. And is, is this true of our community group? Even in this small group, in this table, is this true of us? So I'm gonna kind of go through some verses. All right, there's gonna be quite a few. You can write them down if you want, but there's gonna be a few so you can just follow them on the screen. So first off, we see in John 8, 36, so if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, then you will be free indeed. So Jesus sets you free, then you're free. That's it. Move forward. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. So Jesus came and paid the penalty for your sin by dying on the cross, being raised again in three days, being victorious over death. He did those things for you to have freedom. Again, I walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. So the psalmist here is saying, I'm actually following what you've called me to do. I'm actually walking through your precepts and your laws. And I love your law. And I love what you've called me towards. And he says, and in those things, I have freedom. Again, I don't know if this is very characteristic of us. That is, that is definitely not true of me a lot of the time. I don't think to myself, me walking out God's precepts, freedom. Right? I think, man, I, I have so much that I'm not doing right. If we're to be honest. And then 2 Corinthians, talking about the Spirit of God, one part of the Trinity. When we actually believe in Jesus for our forgiveness of sins, the Spirit comes inside of us. He dwells inside of us. And it says, now the, Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if we are believers in Jesus, then we have freedom. We have the Holy Spirit who brings that freedom. And then lastly, and this is kind of, I'm going to pray after this, but this is kind of the, the concept that if we can know the truth about who we are in Christ, if we can know the truth of Scripture, if we are people that actually study the Word and walk it out, then this is what's going to happen. The truth will set you free. Sounds like a movie quote. All right. So I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to jump right in. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you, God, that you have given us a life of abundance. God, that you have offered to us eternal life, but you've even given us life now that we can have a life that is not shackled by our performance, not shackled by how people perceive us. Our identities are not found in anything we can do, God, but simply what you have done for us. And so I just pray that today, God, we will understand that truth more and more. God, because there is nothing more freeing than knowing that we are simply, as we've sang, children of God, that we no longer have to fear the world. We no longer have to fear if we fail at certain things, God, but simply knowing that our identity is in you, that we have the righteousness of God. And I just pray that that hits us today. Allow it to be fresh and new. Holy Spirit, move in this place, God. We pray all these things through the intercession of Jesus and by your spirit. Amen. So I'm gonna tell you an allegory. And I got this allegory from a book called The Cure and really, really enjoyed it. It actually changed a lot of my perspective of sin management. Uh, And so most of us in college, we struggle a lot, struggle with sins. And so I read this book and it just hit me of, I have perceived the way that I pursue my relationship with God incorrectly. And I see how it affects everything about who I am. And so hopefully this allegory will open up some doors and then I'm going to bring three truths that's found not only in the allegory, but also in scripture. So imagine you're on a world and this world is called relationship with God. And you're on this road and this road is called the ultimate motive. This is your ultimate motive in your relationship with God. You're following along. We get to this path and it forks in the road. 
And on that, the signs, it says pleasing God and trusting God. There's your two paths. So you look at that and you're like, okay, well, I'm a new Christian and I'm really excited about my relationship with God and I really want to grow into Christ's likeness. I really want to be a mature believer. And so which path do I choose? Man, this is bothering me over here. All right, sorry if it's bothering y'all too. So you look at those paths and you say, you know what? Pleasing God sounds pretty good because it's based on maybe some things I can do. While I look at trusting God, I'm like, what, what do I do there? Like believe? Like trusting... I'm going to take the pleasing God path. Sounds like a good path. You know where this is going. So I take a left and I get on this pleasing God path and I realize that I have to immediately put the sign on my back. And on the sign it reads, working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. This heavy sign, I'm walking with it on this path of pleasing God and it says working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. All of us want an intimate relationship with God. So it sounds pretty good. So you start walking down this path and you come up to a house. And, uh, and the house's title is striving to be all that God wants me to be. Again, a lot of us maybe feel that way in our relationship with God. What I want to do is please God. And by doing that, I need to work hard and strive to be all that God's called me to be. This sounds pretty good so far. So I look down at the doorknob and I say, okay, how do I open this door? Well, the doorknob high is called the doorknob of effort. All right, so I got to work to open the doorknob. Again, you're, you're following on. College, this is awesome. So you open that door and you walk into a room filled with people. And guess what the room's called? The room of good intentions. Oh, this is interesting, interesting. So you look around and you see all these people. But what you notice first about all the people in the room is they're all wearing masks. And some of you have seen V for Vendetta. I really enjoy that movie. And the, and the masks that they all wear at the end are really creepy. So imagine that. All right, so everyone in this room is wearing a V for Vendetta mask. And this host comes up to you, hostess. She comes up to you and she's like, how are you doing? And you're like, well, I'm doing great. Like I'm pleasing God, striving all that I can be. And right then the whole room gets quiet. And she puts her hand over your mouth, which is creepy in itself. She says, shh, 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 And she gives you a mask. She says, put this on. And then you're like, this is so weird. But okay, how are you doing? And she says, fine, I'm doing just fine. Everything is fine. And you're like, okay. I'm going to chill in this room with all these people pleasing God. They're striving to be all that they can be. And so I really want to be here. And so I got to work hard with my effort. So you wear this mask. But as the days go on, you start to realize something. You start to realize that your mask keeps cracking and breaking down because you keep sinning. But the issue is that you can't share your sins and your struggles with the people in the room because they've all got it together. They've all got these sweet masks on. I don't really see the cracks in their mask. I only notice that my mask is breaking down. So what you do is you grab another mask and you keep putting masks on over your mask and and you keep doing this and doing this and you realize that you find yourself very empty and you feel like, you know what? This path that I chose to strive to please God, to be intimate in my relationship with God, with all the hard work I put into this, has left me very dry, very empty, very alone. And some of us might be in this room feeling that way. I thought that this Christian walk was going to bring me all this joy and this freedom, and I find myself in a place of solitude. I find myself ashamed of what I've done, and I can't share with all these Christians in this room because everyone's worshiping Jesus with their hands up in the air, and everyone's got it all together. And so finally you get to the end of your rope and you're like, okay, I'm going to leave this room and I'm going to go back down the road and I'm going to come back to that path. So you walk back to that path 
and you decide to go down trusting God. The first thing you notice after you start walking down this road is, hey, I get to take the sign off. And you already feel a little bit of weight drop. You're still holding a lot of the baggage from the past, but at least you get to take the sign off. And you come to this house on the path of trusting God, which says, living out who God says that I am. Living out all that God says that I am. Okay, well, I will try this house out. And you look down, and guess what the doorknob's called? The doorknob is called the knob of humility. So it's not effort, but humility. And it's at this point you just cry out to God. And you say, God, I really thought that this was going to be it. I thought that the Christian walk was going to bring me this peace and this joy. And everyone around me seems like they've had it together. And I'm the only one that hasn't. So I'm at the end of my rope. And I'm, I'm feeling like just turning around and just walking away from this thing. But I'll give this one last shot. But you've got to help me, God, because I cannot do this on my own. And I want to be who you've called me to be. So you turn that doorknob and you walk into the room. And the room is called the room of grace. And the first thing you notice about these people is they don't have masks on. And the hostess comes up to you and says, how are you doing? Now, you're no fool. And so you're not going to be fooled twice. And so you say, fine, just fine. All the room gets quiet again. You're like, what in the world? I can't say anything right. So then she looks at you again says, really? And this is when you blow up. Because you're like, I am so sick of being judged by everyone. I'm so tired of this Christian walk thing. I'm tired of being a failure. I'm tired of wearing these masks. And I'm tired of being judged by your group. So I'm just not cool enough for this room. I'm just going to leave. And all of a sudden you hear from the back of the room, is that all you got? And this guy walks forward. He's like, you know what? I struggle with pornography. And I struggle with anger issues. And I have bad thoughts about people all the time. So really, your puny list of struggles that you've had are nothing compared to mine. And you're like, okay, that was super weird. That guy just shared all of that stuff in front of the whole room of grace. And so you just look at the hostess and you're like, what do I do? And she goes, I think what that means is that you are definitely welcome here. You're definitely welcome here to be in this community, in the room of grace, to work through the sin struggles in community. Now, I tell you that allegory for a lot of different reasons, and obviously you can connect the dots. But I think that a lot of us are on the pleasing God path. And I know I have been on the pleasing God path for the most of my Christian life, where I've gotten to where I'm really good at letting other people think I've got it all together, and I can put myself really nicely in a bow, except for my wife, and she sees all the time, it's like, whoa, I was not expecting that, right? But everyone else is like, oh man, like he's really good, he's solid, he's got this going on. And, and maybe that's you too. You've been putting on this mask and you know it. You know that you have certain sin struggles and you just don't have anyone to talk with. You don't really have this room of grace where you feel open and you can share honestly with those around you. And so hopefully today, freedom will be this theme and the truth of it will set you free. So again, we go back to this John eight thirty two passage and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you three truths a little bit of applications and verses for each of those. And then we're going to break into groups and really discuss this, this idea of freedom. And do we have it? So the first truth that we see in scripture and in this allegory is your identity is, is found in who you are and not what you do. So listen carefully. For those of you that are working extremely hard in school, awesome job. I, I congratulate and praise you for your hard work. But, but the moment that you start to think that you are 
first and foremost a student, or you are first and foremost judged by the grades that you have, and that's who you are, and you're trying to prove yourself to your teachers, your classmates, your parents. You're trying to get that job and get that relationship and set yourself up for the future, and that's who you are, then that's not true, and it's going to lead you down a path of destruction and depression. I'll tell you that. It's not found in what you do. It's found in who you are, and so who are we? Galatians 4, 7. I love the, the worship set that we sing. It was so applicable. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir to God. So God right off the bat says, you know what? You are my loved, adopted child. That's who you are. And I remember showing you the two puppies I had at the beginning. I found one of those dogs on the side of the road. Right? And I thought about actually this morning, an adoption process we don't have any kids, but we got two dogs, so I'll just go with me on this. So I found this dog, and I brought it into the house. Now, this dog did nothing. In fact, things that bother me a lot, all the time. She, but she did nothing to earn being in this family. And that's, that's kind of what I thought of when an adopted child of God. The next verse in Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. Again, a lot of us would say, man, I'm working really, really hard. And even in my spiritual walk, it's all about my spiritual disciplines. It's graded by how much I read my Bible and pray and talk about Jesus and not cuss and don't drink too much and don't partake in these different things. That is me working really, really hard. And that is my relationship with God. And a lot of us can say, that is how I define, are you walking with the Lord well? Well, let me see, am I sinning a lot? Am I doing good things? Are they, are they outweighing my bad things? That's kind of how we judge our maturity in Christ. Incorrect, right? So in the one who does not work, it says right there, it's not based on your work. Never has been. It's been based on what he did for you. He justified you. He stamped you as clean, as righteous, right? Your trust is what stamps you as righteous. So before we move to that second truth, a little story. So I was in gymnastics all the way through high school. And that was kind of my identity, I would say. I definitely, it was like five hours a day, five days a week. I got pretty good. I was doing a lot of it. Became team captain, made to state championships every year. My senior year, if you make top 10 on any event, then you qualify for national competition and you compete against other states in America. So you have to be top 10 on that event at state champs as a senior to then go on to compete in nationals. And so I was able to qualify for five out of the six events. I was horrible at pommel. So, but I got to national competition. And this was my moment, guys. Like, I was like, man, I worked so hard for so long to be in this place. And I competed on floor. And in Olympic order, floor is the first event. And what happens is they draw straws. So who's doing floor? Who's, who's qualified for nationals? Okay, we're all going to draw straws. And guess who got to draw first person on floor, which is the first event of the entire day of national competition? Yes, me. Right? And I remember literally drawing that and being like, there's no way. There's got to be something else. So I walk out there, and it's in the Alamo Dome. There's like thousands of people, ginormous jumbotron. <laughs> so this is my thought. I, I won't ever forget this. I walk on the floor, and I remember saluting the judge. And when I saluted, I put my hand up. And I shouldn't have done that because when I looked at my hand, I also saw a jumbotron of my face literally just being broadcasted over all these people. And I was like, I will not look at that again or I'm going to die right? Just, just avoid the jumbotrons and just compete, right? So I do floor and I did really well. And I actually placed top 10 in nationals. And I remember getting to stand on the podium and saluting, you know, when we finish and thanking God. And I remember 
thinking to myself, I saw my dad up in the, in the stadium. My dad went to every single meet. He supported me. He was like the gymnastics booster guy. He was a high school teacher, and he supported me a ton of gymnastics, and I, don't, I never realized how much that meant to me until after I finished, which is sad. But I remember looking at him in the stadium, and now imagine if I did this, guys. I salute the judge. I did really well my entire life. I've been working for this moment. So what if I had got down off the podium, I had ran up the stairs and ran all the way up the stadium and I got to my dad and I hugged him and I said, dad, I did it. I did it, dad. He's like, what'd you do? And I say, dad, I am now a Pinkerton. I made it. I'm a Pinkerton, dad. Now what would my dad do? My dad would probably be like, man, I'm, I'm proud of your work and I'm proud that you did so well. You represented your school and your family and the dedication you have. But it makes me sad that you think that your hard work and your performance and your success is what allowed you to be a Pinkerton because that's not true. What's true is that me and my mom brought you here and you are a family because we had you. And that's it. And I think a lot of us are in that place where, man, my relationship with God is only based on how hard I work and how well I do at this whole Christian life thing. If I read my Bible and I pray and I do all these things and it's a constant pressure on you and you feel that weight and you don't know who to talk to you because you feel bad that you feel that way. And and, and it's just not true. You are a loved child of God and that's who you are. The second truth we see is that you are fully known and fully loved. A lot of these concepts are so basic, guys, and it will take your entire life to get a little better at understanding that they're true. You actually never really fully grasp it. And so you can keep hearing the same things over and over. You are fully known and fully loved. You are a child of God. You're a daughter of the king. You're a champion. You're a conqueror. You're a warrior. And you are all these things all your life. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. Pump up speech. And then you realize eventually, like, I don't really believe any of that. Right? You hear it so often that it's kind of like this cliche Christian mantra. And you're like, That's, this is weird. But the reality is it's true. And that's why it's so weird for us because we keep hearing it and we don't believe it because we're stiff-necked. And I think about Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 and then Revelation 21 and 22 are the only four chapters of the entire Bible that you see this picture of peace, of shalom, of fullness. Everywhere else in the Bible, it's a mess. So you look at Genesis 2 and what does it say about Adam and Eve at the end? It says they were naked and unashamed. Now, a lot of us in this room have probably had the whole naked dream where you take an exam and then you realize you're naked and you're like, oh my gosh, everyone saw me naked just now. That was super embarrassing. They know all my flaws and imperfections and you wake up with a cold sweat. Some of you might feel that way. Well, that's not what we see in Genesis 2, that they're naked and unashamed, that they're fully known, that they walked with God and with each other and there was no shame. And then what do you see in Genesis 3 when they decided to disobey direct command of God and said, you're not good enough, God. I want to be in your place and I don't trust your goodness. And they ate of that fruit. And what does it say? That their eyes were immediately opened and they realized that they were naked. And when God comes back into the garden of Eden and he says, where are you? Which is a very, very sad line in the Bible. Where are you? He knows where they are. And Adam in that moment says, I heard you. I realized I was naked and I hid myself. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves is we are hiding from God when he knows where we are. We are hiding from God when he knows where we are. And the reality is he fully knows us. 
So a couple of the passages. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For some of us, that is terrifying. To know that God literally knows everything about you. Every thought, every emotion, every feeling, every sin struggle, every victory. He knows everything about you, what you've done, and what you will do. And one of our greatest fears in this life, if not the greatest fear, is to be known and to not be loved. A lot of us might say, well, we have relationships where we're loved but not really known. And that's kind of superficial relationships. But the people that really, really know you, are they going to reject me? Are they going to like what they see? And our lives are kind of built around trying to be this loved person that's known by others. And what does it say is that God knows you completely. So then it makes you think, well, what does he think about you? This is, this is a verse that none of us know, but it's John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A lot of us have heard that verse. A lot of us, that was the first verse they memorized. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I've never seen that. So I'm not insulting you. But what it says is, for God so loved. And that always struck me, so loved. It doesn't say for God loved the world. Or God really liked the world. It said he so loved the world and that the cause was so loved. What's the effect? He gave. He loved you so much that he gave. And anything you purchase is always worth only however much it costs to buy it. And so what are you worth? You're worth how much you were bought for. And you were bought with the price of Jesus. So when you start to think, I'm not worthy because I've screwed up, you just remember John 3, 16. God so loved me that he purchased me with his son, Jesus. And that's how much I'm worth. Even in my struggles, in my imperfections, he knew those things and he still died for me. And the last verse kind of wraps it up. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Sounds like a song. And that is what we are. We are children of God, fully known, fully loved. Again, think through that. If you're known but not loved, that is our greatest fear. If you are loved but not known, it's superficial. It's fake. And what we're striving for is to be fully known and fully loved. And God's already given us that. Again, so this is wrapping up to third point. Truth number three, that you are free to walk out your purpose in Christ. You are free. What does it mean to be free and why do we talk about it? doesn't really make sense. The point is that your identity is a love child of God and God fully knew what he was doing when he did it. He fully knew you and he fully loved you so he gave you his own son. So I see a couple passages in that. Can't you see the central issue? It is not what you do, submit to circumcision or not. It is what God is doing and he is creating something totally new, a free life. Again, freedom. Paul really hit this all throughout the New Testament. It's not about what you do. This is who you are. Well, do we submit to circumcision because we're Gentiles? Do we try and fit into the family and be Jews so that we can be in a relation with God? No, it's not it. In fact, Paul's really angry at the people teaching that because it's false. It is not what you do. It is who you are. And the second passage, Ephesians 2.10 We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Now, I've wrestled with this verse a couple times because we're talking about freedom. And it seems like maybe some of you are saying, so you're telling me that I shouldn't spend a lot of time working hard. I'm striving after these different things. And so is that wrong of me? Am I supposed to, instead of study for my engineering exam, read the Bible 12 hours? It's like, well, what is this passage saying? It says that we're created for good work. So I wrestled with that. Am I allowed to excel at what I'm supposed to be doing? And does that mean I'm idolizing? And I think the whole point you focus on is that we are his and that we are created in Christ Jesus. So don't hear what I'm not saying. If, if you feel like I'm telling you right now that you studying a ton or you working, is working really hard in your job or building a relationship and it takes a ton of your time, that's okay. In fact, God calls us to do all things for his glory. And so I want to actually encourage and exhort you that we as believers in Jesus who have the spirit of God inside of us, we should be doing the best of everyone around us because we have the spirit of God and we want to reflect God's goodness in our work. And that's an awesome, awesome thing that we get to do. But it's again, it's about what's your ultimate motive? Is it to please God and please those around you and look a certain part Or is it just simply trusting that this is what God said about me? This is who I am in him. And I want my relationships around me, my community, to be this authentic, genuine community that I see here. So here's the application. We're going to discuss a couple of these things. But really, it's cool that you're already in a table. You're discussing these things. What does a community look like when each individual truly trusted what God says about them? What would your community, what would your accountability, what would your best friend, what would your relationship with your significant other, what would your relationship with your parents and your teachers, what would that look like if you actually believe these things? So I wrote a couple of them down, and then I'm just going to move in, and y'all can really discuss it. What does it look like in your particular personal lives? So the first thing is we trade this veneer of safety for vulnerability. So instead of wearing this mask, as Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves, horrible thing to hide yourself with. They're dead. They're going to shrivel up, right? But in reality, you trade that fakeness, that mask that will never satisfy you, that receives your love. If you think about it that way, when you put a mask on and people are loving you, they're not loving you for you. They're loving the mask. And so when you start to feel empty, it's like, I don't feel like I'm receiving love. It's because it's you're not. Your fake person that you're, you're broadcasting is receiving that love. And so whenever you have this genuine, authentic identity of who you are and you believe that to be true and you believe that about the community around you, then you do get to trade this veneer, this fakeness for real, genuine vulnerability. And I really, really want that. And I hope that y'all do too. We no longer live a life of comparison, envy, and jealousy. I know that's hard to do in class. I know that's hard to do in sports. Man, I want to break the curve. Do not break the curve. Don't break the curve. Right? All of us are in this place of, man, we compare all the time. We're always competing. But in a genuine, authentic Christian relationship, there is none of this envy and jealousy. And I want to prove myself over you. But the reality is, and one way that I really identify if I'm walking with God, trusting Him or pleasing Him, is when someone around me is really victorious in something I really want to be good at, and they really excel at it, what's my immediate interaction with them? What's my reaction to them? Is it jealousy? Is it anger? Hey, I want to do that. I want to make the good grade. I want to be successful in that sport. I want to be in that relationship. I want this, this, and this. Or is it, man, I can actually joyfully celebrate the thing that God has given you as a gift, as a brother in Christ. I am so excited for that. That's one of the quickest ways for me that I see, am I trusting God 
Or am I trying to please him by performing and performing for those around me? The third thing, we represent new life in Christ that works. When people see you, do they actually see a person that is joyful, full of peace, and actually has freedom? I told you I was in the core. And I remember one of the things, it's kind of like engineers too, so sorry if you're an engineer, but core guys, engineer guys, I saw this a lot of, you'd be like, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? And like, we loved to glorify how busy we were, how little sleep we got, how much work we had. I'm not trying to insult because I love the core and I worked with them, but I think that was very common. It was like, how you doing, Benjamin? And I'd be like, dude, I'm so tired. I, I slept one hour and I just worked out and I studied all night giggle. It's like, what? That is so weird. Why do you start with that? And engineers, I see the same thing. A lot of them love to glorify how busy they are and how tired they are. And I'm always like, that is so strange that that's what we lead off with. I mean, I get the genuine, authentic. I want to let you know what I'm, what's going on in my life. But we as a culture love to present how busy we are. Someone's like, how are you doing? Let me tell you my schedule from the past week. It's like, that's not, that, I don't know what you're talking about, right? I want to know how you are doing. And again, we represent new life in Christ. When they see you and you're not the guy or the girl that's constantly trying to glorify how tired and how hard you work and you're pointing things to you, but instead you are the, the engineering student or the cadet or puts you in that spot and you're the people that are like, how are they so happy and joyful? This class is horrible, right? I want to be like that. There's got to be something going on. Are we actually enticing? And that's when we can say, it's not me, man. It's the relationship I have with God, the creator of the universe. Let me tell you about that story. And that's why I can interact in any situation with peace. I might not like it, but I've got peace about it. Are, we, are our lives enticing to those around us? And the last application, and this is kind of the full circle, we please God. So again, it's funny I tell you this entire story about trusting God versus pleasing God. The reality is it's, our, our goal is to please God. <laughs> so this is kind of confusing. But the reality is Hebrews 11, right? The hall of faith. Talks about all these different people that did all these different things. And God was pleased with them. And why? Because it says right, right in Hebrews 11, like two, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. AKA without trust, it is impossible to please God. So when you trust God with who you are, that you are a fully known and fully loved child of him, adopted into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you believe that to be true and you walk that identity out, that is what pleases God. Not your success and your sin management. Not in how well you're doing versus how well you're not doing. The reality is, do I believe that to be true? And that's what's going to please God. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break into small groups. Well, you're already there. Cool. Oh, Father God, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that uh, this life that you've called us to is not heavy. God, that you said it. You said that your burden is light. God, and I pray that that's true for us. God, I pray we can really evaluate, is, is that who I am? Am I a son and daughter of God? And if that's true, then why do I feel this way? What's going on? And I pray you through your spirit can interact in our hearts and and let us know, first and foremost, it's not about what we do, but who we are, that you know us completely and you love us still. And now, God, we can walk that identity out. 
I pray for these tables. I pray for the table hosts. I pray for the college students. I pray for everyone in this room, God, that that's actually true of us, that we don't just come to church on Sundays and try and prove ourselves to those around us. We don't just hit a checklist of feeling good about who we are because we go to church and we read our Bible sometimes. God, because that is so just fake and it's so empty and it's got to break your heart. I pray that we can just don these masks that we're wearing, God, and instead in real community, Maybe community in this room, God, we can be authentic and genuine with where we're at in these things. God, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus that through his life, his perfect life and his death and his victory over death and sin by being raised again, God, that he is coming back for us. God, I thank you for that. And I pray that we believe that to be true. And God, I pray that we walk out who that makes us. God, we pray all these things, the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.